let me tell you a little bit more about the translation in the English translation is sacrifice. Sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something. And the word sacrifice in Latin means to make sacred. To make sacred. So in the act of renunciation or sacrificing, the person is connecting to what is sacred what is precious or wonderful. So it's also translated as re, again, and renunciation uh, is an announcement. So again and again, we're announcing our renunciations. We sometimes say, oh, I let go, to, I let go of this or that. It's finally not bothering. But often, this something just falls away. One day you recognize, oh, that's not bothering me anymore. So in the Buddhist texts, it says, give up the world and lead a holy life. Now this is spelled H-O-L-E-Y, H-O-L-Y. But I like to think of that as holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, give up the world and lead a whole life. And that is what renunciation really allows us to do, live a whole and fulfilling life. So this is the practice of letting go, surrendering, relinquishing. And I, I first became interested in this word renunciation during my first practice period at Tassajara, and I was meeting with one of the uh, teachers, and he said, renunciation is the basis, the whole of our practice. And that really struck me. It's the whole of our practice. And actually, we're practicing that moment to moment, whether a, where we are a Buddhist or not. Because every moment of our life, first with our breath. So we're taking in breath, and then we're letting go. Taking up something and letting it go. So moment by moment, we are practicing renunciation. And we're all familiar with this because we, we do this during Zazen. We're watching our breath rise and fall with every breath, breathing in and breathing out. So we might be taking in new thoughts as we breathe in or new sensations, new emotions, new smells. And then we're breathing it out. And we're letting then go, and then it begins again, breath by breath. And ideally, when we end our zazen and enter back into the world, we continue to let go, opening up and letting go. Some of us are going into Rohatsu uh, starting Monday, 
And Rojas was a kind of renunciation. We put aside our preferences. We eat what is served. We turn off our devices. We sit in an upright position rather than comfortably slouched on the couch. And we follow a precise schedule. So we're putting aside our important roles at work as a parent, a caretaker, even in our intimate relationships. And then as we renunciate those things, what opens up is a little more time to observe our thoughts, our feelings, our physical sensations. Perhaps to see those things surface again and again. We're taking up something and we're letting go. Renunciation is really not a negative teaching. We're actually renouncing, closing down, and shutting off from life. And from that, we're opening up. We're opening up to the teachings of our life right in front of us. So it's a very positive teaching, renunciation. But it may not feel so joyful or happy when we give up things that we love. But it definitely feels more sane and being present. And Buddha said, a wise person gives up a lesser happiness for greater happiness. When you look at all of our teachings, uh, there requires some letting go of old patterns. Buddha's very first teaching, the Four Noble Truths, well, there it is, the very first truth, there is suffering suffering all around us and seeing it's from our desires, those our attachments that clinging to things. But as we know, he provides a path to end this. And that's the old eightfold path. So as we look at renunciation, this is not to be meant to be a practice of austerity or a practice of suffering, but it's, 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 it's really meant to help us establish more equanimity and clarity regarding our thoughts and feelings. And it's a practice really that is meant to energize, energizes when you kind of put down something there is more energy. So, of course, this means studying. We have to really study these desires and obsessiveness that we may have and the patterns that are causing discomfort or suffering. And we have to really watch and see, well, what is attracting us? What seduces us? Maybe it's food. 
some preference that you like, or alcohol, or caffeine, or watching too much television, or time surfing on the internet, or playing games on our computer, continuously reading our emails throughout the day, or maybe we're moving to like mental habits, like planning, 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 worrying, fretting, controlling, feelings of anxiety, our compulsions. You notice I have this compulsion. I've got to always be picking up little things off the floor, straightening the rug. We have some feelings, feelings of resentment or jealousy, envy, or fear, insecure, not good enough. But what about our opinions and views, beliefs that we do not want to give up? Or maybe we want that impulse to be right and correct, that need to control. Or maybe working all the time, that drive to accomplish. Or, on the other hand, the impulse to procrastinate. Well, I can do that tomorrow. Or maybe there's an impulse to fill silence you know, with words, just talking too much, just to fill up the space, and not really listening. Or maybe finding fault in political situations and talking about that rather than acting on it. And of course, the big one is giving up our attachment to self, who we think we are. And that is really challenging. So that self, that ego, is always seducing us, isn't it? inviting us for putting out ideas that something would be better. And that was that was Buddhist Mara. Just tempting him for those seven days, or at least some of that time during the seven days. Um, promising something better. More happiness. So all those things that we just I just mentioned, do any of those things cause suffering? So they may not. So none of them are necessarily bad. This isn't about bad or good. It's more about our attachments and our compulsions and craving for this. We all have it. So if you find those feelings of attachment to something, there's probably suffering there. Really examine it. In other words, you find suffering, you'll find some clinging. And I remember Darlene made an example about uh, having that second cup of coffee, and I just couldn't think how that could be wrong, but there was craving, I have that myself, that craving to have that second cup. Nothing wrong with it, but maybe it really wasn't 
what I needed. So can there be pleasure in renunciation? Well, maybe we're giving up something good or pleasurable for something better. Give all these things up, you certainly want to find some pleasure and joy in this suffering. I, I come from an alcoholic family, and uh, I always love my alcohol. And um, throughout the years, went through many different phases with alcohol, and I knew I had the propensity for drinking because I could see it in my family. And I would enjoy having, you know, one, two, maybe three glasses of wine. And uh, I had this notion, well, it just, I was just freer, I was less inhibited, I was more fun, more fun to be with. And um, I uh, looked so forward to it. I plan it out. That's when the, the scheming mind would come in, you know, well, let's see if I could have a drink on Friday, because I don't work on Saturday. I could have one on Saturday. And maybe even Sunday. If I if I drank it early enough, I could have that drink on Sunday too. I didn't want to be hung over on Monday. So it was this constant um, scheming within my mind. And it was really quite a lot of suffering there. I didn't recognize it as suffering. I just recognized my mind figuring things out. And uh, so, and of course, I was always saying, oh, I've got to give this up. I've got to give it up. Stop doing me any good. So, and as I began to practice more and more, I could see that more clearly. This is, this is an obsession here. And uh, then I, you know, made that bow, came on a stall, and I would, Friday would come, and oh, well, one drink's not going to hurt. And I wasn't harming anyone, and I wasn't harming myself. Uh, so I just did see, maybe, and people would say, oh, you're not really an alcoholic. Yeah, maybe I'm not. So this went on for several years. And then I went to Tassajara for my first practice period. And while I was down there, they have AA meetings. So there again, the mind had to decide, well, am I going to go to that? Well, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have to go to that. But at any rate, I did start going to the meetings. And uh, I, I took the practice up quite serious, you know, of course, there was no temptation to drink because there's no alcohol. So it was just really a perfect place to do this practice where I could journal about it. And I did, and asked my things like, made a list of, well, what, what do I like about drinking? And all the things that I loved about drinking. Well, what do I get out of it? And this feeling of freedom and being more fun. And what, do I, what would I lose if I stopped? Gosh, I might lose some friends. Um, so, and is there really any benefit in giving it up? So this was a 
wonderful thing to be able to do in these three months and get more and more clarity and see what I was think I was getting and what I was what the price I was paying for it. And so luckily when I did come out, I was able to stay sober. And that strong craving had diminished some. It didn't go away, but it was less. And I could remember the things that it was costing me to drink, that craziness, wild, obsessive thoughts. And there was loss, no doubt about it. There was loss. You know, I missed the social aspect. There were some friends, all we did just had so much fun. And uh, that feeling of just feeling free and loose. <laughs> but on the other hand, that craziness was not in my mind and that obsessiveness about that. And that was so freeing, just so freeing. So in Zen, unlike the Theravadan uh, tradition, which is where the Polykaimen was, we don't, we don't specifically, that I'm aware of, talk about renunciation. It's not one of the paramitas as stated as renunciation. Uh, <clears throat> but they, it is said, and I, those of us that this were studying aspects may recall this, but one of the par, not paramitas, I'm sorry, one of the, uh, Eightfold path is right thinking, right thought. And I also, it's also translated as right intention. And that's tied to renunciation. And so I looked at this uh, with re renunciation and realized when we when we clarify our intention, then what we're doing is um, renewing our vow. And that vow is what drives, you know, us continually returning to vow, how we live our life. And so our, our intention to release this lusting and craving after things or thoughts, ideas, beliefs, whatever it is that causes suffering, destructive, destructive and harmful emotions, it's really anything that is holding us back. So we start with vow, renewing our vow. And we, we do this uh, during the Bodhisattva ceremony, full moon ceremony. We say, all my ancient tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Greed, hate, and delusion. And it's born through a body, our speech, and our mind. And I now fully avow. 
So we're just renewing that vow, recognizing our ancient tangled karma. And then secondly, after taking our vow over and over again, it's important to acknowledge where we are and things that we'd like to change, things that we like about ourselves. But before we do that, we really have to accept, accept right where we are and the way things are and the way we are. So, of course, we want to have compassion and generosity toward ourselves. And then we're ready to make renunciation with whatever it is that you want to renunciate. Suzuki Roshi said, renunciation is allowing things to pass away just allowing them to pass away. We recognize how things are always changing and passing away, and we're just allowing it to go. And renunciation really helps us with the bigger losses. When we're able to, and this of course is really important as we get older and older, we recognize Everything is changing, our capacities, things that we can do, we're losing, losing friends, family, parents. So all of those losses give us a deeper understanding of changes, the impermanence of things. Now, even the things we love are going to change. Constant impermanence. My grandchildren told me they don't want to do crafts anymore. Oh, I'm so disappointed. That impermanence. So there's definitely disappointment with changes of their. And that's important to acknowledge that too, the disappointments and the difficulty of things. But when we change our perspective on things, do a little shifting, you know, realize that things and people and the world, the way it is, we know this, but you have to keep saying it, it is impermanent and unsubstantial. It's just so hard to realize things are going to change, some things that we just love. And then one day, it's changed. And it's disappointing. You definitely have to recognize that these things are disappointing and it's a loss. But when we renunciation, when we really renunciate, we're just letting go and finding some joy there and letting go, knowing, knowing what is inevitable. 
and all of these not so easy to do. But I think with practice, it does get easier, more acceptance. So when we find it, what it is we want to change, we've really studied it and tried, tried something, then we can, we can practice renunciation of letting go. Sometimes, too, it's good to start with little things. Get in the habit of renunciating. Don't start something that's too big because that could cause resentment. And it will come back. And, and also to recognize there's a lot of comfort, comfort and safety, you know, security and familiarity with, with these habits, compulsiveness. It's just so familiar and comfortable. Why, why change that? But digging a little deeper to see, well, is it, is it really satisfying to be doing this? We can ask ourselves questions like if we think we're ready to let go. Really, what is it what I want or need right now? And is this thing dragging me down? It really requires some honesty and deep looking. What am I actually getting out of this? Now, uh, what do I keep doing or saying that gives me the same unsatisfying result? But again, like I say, it's, it's, it's comfort. There's security there. It requires really being honest with oneself. And what is something I used to find enjoyable, but still longing that interesting? I really look at this. It's really not so great anymore. Darn. I wanted that thing to last forever. Um, so what, what does my happiness really depend on? And does it depend, this happiness, does it depend on Continuing this habit, this very familiar, comfortable, secure habit. And do I even believe this will bring me happiness? If these things, the answers are yes, then not ready to let it go. Then that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. So the focus is not what's being left behind. And they're really practicing renunciation. But what is coming? What's coming for? What is opening? And there is an opening. Because when you remove something, there's there's an opening. It's kind of like clothes. <laughs> Women used to say that, right? You go out and get rid of something. Well, now I can put something back in. So there is some spaciousness and peace. 
something that's been dragging us down. So during, during my Shuso period, I had the koan, Kyogen's person up a tree. And uh, <clears throat> some of you may remember a few around, but this person was, was stuck, was really stuck somewhere in his life. In the koan, you know, it's, a, it's an analogy. Um, the man is, or the, the person, man, woman, whoever it is, uh, this person is hanging by the branch with just his teeth, just his teeth, nothing else to support him, them. And uh, there's so much stuckness, right? You can see there's just so much stuckness there. Uh, probably fear. Because if you let, if, if he lets, if they, if they let go, well, gosh, they're going to lose something. You have to give something that's very precious to them, a piece of themselves that they don't want. They don't want to give up. <clears throat> so this person just hangs on for dear life. Now, someone comes along, very sincere person, and asks him very, in, in, in an honest way about a, a downer question, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming to the West? He really wants to know. <clears throat> so this is a, this is a dilemma. I'm sure we've all had in our own lives. Oh, maybe you want to move on, but just can't quite do it. Oh, and all the things we might lose if we do. And so what what to do? What to do here? And if they do let go. What's that going to do to them? Their self-image and their ego. And if they do let, and if they actually stay in the branch, there's still going to be a lot of suffering. Hanging on, just that stuckness. If they let go, something can open up and they can be of help. So I listened to a talk that Sojin gave um, a while back, and it was, the talk was about renunciation. Um, said, it was about what is there to let go of, and what is there to take up, or what is the opening if we do let go. So some of the examples he gave was, 
letting go and admitting our powerlessness that we really don't have control. We really look at things we, we don't have control. And what we can take up is a mindset that we can't do anything about a particular situation. So we can just let go and open up really to the present moment and see what's right in front of us. For another example, letting go of blaming others. Well, instead, taking up and asking how, instead of blaming someone, how can we make the most of our lives? Just putting the focus back over here, what can I do? Another one is uh, letting go of fixing someone else. And rather than that, taking up and asking, how can I support this person rather than fixing them? Or letting go of judging another, but rather allowing that person to be just as they are, uh, recognizing not everyone is like me, and let the person live, live their own life. So kind of giving that person a wide field to be just as they are. Or letting go of regrets about the past. Rather than taking up and putting energy into the future. Putting energy into our future. And last he said, letting go and practicing less fear. Instead, taking up loving more. So this is an important and lifelong practice. It's the whole of our practice. And we're going to continue to meet our edge. And as we go through that edge, there'll be a new edge to renunciate. And then another edge, and so on. Because that, that will be our life. But with it, every new edge that we pass through, hopefully you'll experience, we'll experience more spaciousness and more opening, more aliveness, more being present. So renunciation is a really wonderful practice. So I think I, I'm going to stop there and see if anyone has any questions or comments.
Yeah, Salvador. Yes. Hi, thank you for that wonderful talk. Thank you. Um, I have two questions. How does one renunciate this modern world and still honor one's commitment to family, to be here with family, and honor one's commitments to work? <laughs> that's, kind of, that's a good question, I feel. And then another question is, is that, is Zazen a form of renunciation? Uh, like letting go? Right, okay, well, let me start with that. So, Salvador's asked, is Zazen a form of renunciation? And I, I believe so. With every breath as we take in and every breath out, we are letting go. Hopefully we're letting go of uh, thoughts rather than holding on to them. We're just letting them pass by. So that's a letting go or of our pain. Just being with it, letting it go. Or emotions that come up. We take it in and then we let it go. We're taking in, just as we take in our breath, and then we let it go. And it may come back <laughs> over and over again, just like uh, things we want to renunciate, we're not, maybe not quite ready, they come back until it finally lets go of us. Does that answer your question? And your second question, or your other question was, um, how do you renunciate when you have family? And tell me if this is correct. Uh, or in fa family that you must care for, work that you must care for. Did I get that right? Well, we're renunciating all the time. For example, like in family, I think it's probably just constant renunciation because you you have a, a partner and you're having to give, let go all the time. Maybe your opinion, helping helping out. It's one big practice, not just here in the, in the Zendo, in the temple, but it's like every moment. And at work, well, there's all kinds of challenges in work, getting along with people. So maybe we have to renunciate our ideas, what we think, the way things should go. And letting new things arise. So it's, it's constant practice of renunciation, wherever you are, wherever you are. Is that Would you like to say something? Okay. Yeah, I'd like to say two things. 
first of all, just in resonance with what you uh, said about drinking, uh, just to say that uh, I gave up all alcohol about a year ago, uh, or it gave me up, sort of, uh, and that feels better. Uh, there still is some some pull towards the social dimension of it, but it gets it lessens every day, and I think it just it feels better for my body and mind because not just because it drizzle is one of the most disruptive habits on the planet, uh, but also it has its own energy that pulls you through. So I'm just sort of seconding that. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say that, you know, uh, at the core of our teaching is uh, from Gobin Zenji, uh, and we'll talk about this during Sashin, we're going to talk about Fukan Zazenji's instructions for, for Sassan uh, and the philosophical uh, or spiritual basis of that. But it's renunciation. Drop body and mind. That doesn't mean not having a body, not having a mind, but it's it means when you when you let go of something, uh, you as you said, you open to something else, and you can open to something deeper. And that's a spirit, as you were saying, of zaza. So that's there's an ultimate renunciation at the heart of our the teaching that we receive from, from Dogen about Zaza. Thank you. And it's also, it, just to add, I'm sorry, it's not something you can do. You can't drop it intentionally or kind of instrumentally. It's just you, you allow it to fall away. You allow your conceptions and your self-centered ideas to fall away. So it's like, as Suzuki already said, it's not that you give up things, but that they give you up. Yeah, and I think it gets easier with practice. Maybe, maybe not. This is all. This is <laughs> all. Not. This is. We're all practicing for our dying. So it, you know, it's not always easy. Thank you. I'd just like to say, too, uh, I had talked about my alcohol uh, addiction once before, and someone asked me, was it okay to have a glass of wine? And I, I said, yes, by all means. If this isn't your addiction, if this isn't, uh, then there's, a, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. So I don't, hope you didn't get the opinion like oh, uh, the impression, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to give up that glass of wine. Everything is different for every person. It's just you looking at your own uh, compulsions with something. Mary? Um, thank you. Uh, your talk speaks to me. I, I had a professor once who said, when is the good the enemy of the better? Which 
came up for me while you were talking was right you this this thing here which i like maybe in my way of doing something that has greater spaciousness or freedom but even in the phrase the good may be the enemy of the better making something an enemy is adding a kind of energy that you i think you spoke to about this is not about bad and good this is about staying friendly with one's edge right i mean that that adding our own judgment about our edge is is maybe a, an additional layer of difficulty if you will. i mean if i wonder if you would speak to that. right that oh, and then i can paraphrase that for everyone but basically talking about well the way i understand it um, it's these things are not bad they're not bad when they i didn't want to put that impression that it was bad but there could be something better so it's, as i say really requires a lot of honesty because Life seems pretty good, but then when you start to look and see, is it really quite satisfying? I think that's the thing. Is it as interesting as it used to be? Then we can start to be honest and see something better. Kind of just repeating what you said, I think. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think about what that edge is between a self-improvement project which has some criticism of oneself versus a, a, a friendly looking at something and saying, oh, I think I would like something else without making an enemy of the thing that was. Do you know that's 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 a kind of tricky edge. I'm, I was inviting you to maybe pick out a prior and say something about that about how it could easily turn into a, a self-criticism versus a... Fair, yeah, that's good. How could something that I think is starting out good becomes like a self-improvement project, which it's not meant to be, become a criticism, and so a block. And I would say myself, you're not quite ready. You just have to keep looking at that, looking at it, and seeing. Well, you know, maybe maybe it isn't so bad. Maybe this is still enjoyable, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm comfortable with this. Then letting it be until maybe it gets less uncomfortable, less comfortable. That's a good question, though. Don't want it to turn into that. Lori? Um, I'm, I'm still on Salvador's question. Um, you know, because the Buddha actually did renounce his family and his children. And, and I think that for us, there's a, there's a difference between your responsibilities and your attachments. And we're still not sure how we feel about the Buddha giving up his responsibilities, you know, even mm. though. He gave up 
gave it up, them up as attachments, you know. And um, so I just like say a little bit more about because I happen to know that Sandra has a, has a young child. So um, I, I like what your answer was, but um, I, I just I would just like to flesh that if you wouldn't mind just fleshing that out a little bit more. That that what do you give up when you're you know what is renouncing? Uh, your family-ish. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, now I've done the same thing. Um, so I let my son go live with his dad. And so um, I gave that up. I gained a lot for myself and a big opening. And I also lost a lot. So I can't say one weighed more outweighed the other. Um, but I've said this before, there was such a strong pull that's just was, as Soji would say, that was my destiny. And then, of course, I spent a lifetime making amends, making amends and, and um, making up for what I gave up. Well, I, uh, there's someone in the chat. Yes, Carol. Uh, there was a message from Janae thanking you for your deep consideration of renunciation and for sharing it with so much simplicity, clarity, and heart. And then Karen um, has a question. She has her digital hand up. Thanks, Mary Beth. Oh, Karen. Hey, Karen. Hi. Yes, I, I really appreciate your honesty. Um, my question is, how would you frame grief uh, within re renunciation, with this topic of renunciation? How, how does grief play? How do you address your grief? Well, first of all, I know about that, since I did lose my spouse, and all of us know about it, I'm sure lost someone very dear to us. Well, first of all, you have to grieve. And you take as long as you need to take to grieve. Don't shortchange yourself. Because it may come back and back and back. And, you know, I think then you start to realize that we're going to lose everything. We are going to lose everything. And so uh, we begin to accept that. And um, hopefully there's an opening with the loss. Something does open up. Is that okay, Karen? We could talk about it more too. Yes, I was trying just to mouth thank you <laughs> without without unmuting. Okay. 
Thank you for coming. Yes, thank you very much. It it does it does answer it. It's a connection that you make with me. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody.